You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, uh, when we first started coming to BFC, um, shortly after we got married, uh, it was a really tough time for Jackie and I. She was pregnant, and uh, I had been dismissed from medical school, and when you want to give up and you're so frustrated and you don't know which direction to turn because you have made the decision to stay and be different than, than our parents, um, we were just very dedicated to not let our marriage fall apart and <laughs> that's exactly what it was doing in the first few years of our marriage. We both knew that um, you know, we'd come a long way, but we wanted to really continue to grow as a married couple and become you know, closer together and provide a godly example of what a married couple should be better than we had growing up. And so when we talked about wanting to mentor, um, it was just very clear that Dr. Green and Elaine would be a perfect, I wasn't sure that they would even agree. <laughs> I was really hoping that they would. I think uh, relationships with other believers, I think it's essential to really learn about the character of God. Um, it's, it's seeing Christ in others. Um, that we really learn how to be more like Christ, I think. So the people who think that they can't open up and talk about the secret things in their lives and the secret things in their marriage, they are missing out. They are missing out on such a deep and meaningful relationship. And ones that are healing, I, I mean, there's just, there's so much healing in just stating the truth. I mean, when you're hurting and just being able to say, I am hurting, you have no idea the things that, if you think that you can't talk to anybody, just come talk to us, because we'll tell you our story first, and I think that you're going to realize that you don't have anything on us. <laughs> I'm one of those people that I'm not, I'm not, I'm the last person to reach out and talk to somebody. But it's worth it. The impact that it makes is worth it. There is nothing, um, there is nothing too shameful, there is nothing too secret, nothing too personal um, that can't or shouldn't be shared because there will be an everlasting impact on a person's heart just by simply opening up and talking to someone. You know, we weren't made to go through life alone. And it takes courage and it's hard to reach out and be vulnerable. But you'll find people who love you. And people who want to reach out and, and make an impact on your life.
Thanks, James and Jackie, for sharing your story with us. We're in a series called Just Like Jesus. You might remember a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, I said to you that I grew up in a church singing this song. And the song, the very first line went like this. I have one deep, supreme desire. I want to be like Jesus. And then the last couple of lines of the song say this. My deepest prayer and my highest goal is that I want to be like Jesus. And so I've been standing up on Sunday morning for the last couple of weeks looking you and I and asking you the question, how bad do you want this in your life? How much do you want to become like Jesus? You understand for the last hundred years or so there's been a church of the Nazarene. I'm a Nazarene. And we received members into the church of the Nazarene this morning. And as Nazarenes, we talk about being a holiness church. But you can't talk about holiness without talking about Christ-likeness. You cannot talk about living a holy life without talking about becoming like Christ. And so we've been talking for a year and a half now about becoming like Jesus in our relationship with the Father... And in our relationships with one another, other believers. And then in our relationships with others, people who do not profess to be Christian. And so this morning we're talking about becoming like Christ in our relationships with one another, okay? And so when I open the New Testament and I read about Jesus and how he functioned in relationships with his followers, I find him teaching them and investing in them. I find him loving them and caring for them and praying for them. And opening his life to them and letting them into his life. And I find him serving them. And so if I'm going to be like Jesus in my relationships with you, then those are the things that are going to have to be happening in my life. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Mark, okay? Mark chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading with verse 13. Mark chapter 3 and I'll start reading with verse 13, okay? And what Mark does is gives us a summary paragraph... Of Jesus calling, choosing, bringing to himself his 12 disciples. So let me read these words to you off the screen as well. Jesus went up on a mountainside. And he called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. And so he appointed 12. That they might be with him. And that he might send them out. It's a pretty important verse I just read to you. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. You understand that Jesus never, never intended to do ministry in isolation or live life in isolation. Jesus did ministry and life in the context of relationships. So he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority and to drive out demons. And these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Lorangeries, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, 
Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Those are the twelve. And Jesus said, I will not live out my life in my ministry in isolation. I will live out my life in ministry in the context of relationships. And he calls 12 people to come to him. And three become part of even an inner circle, even closer. And he calls them to himself to be with him and to send them out. Two very crucial points that he makes. They're going to be with me. And then one day I'm going to send them out. They're going to become like me and I'm going to reproduce them in the world. And so that's the way Jesus functioned in ministry and in life. We've been, we've been focusing these last few weeks on the most influential man who has ever lived in the history of the world. Anybody have a problem with that statement? Jesus Christ is the most influential man who has ever lived in the history of the world. One-third of the population of the world today claim to follow his teaching and his example. One-third of the population of the entire world claim to be Christ followers. Nobody has had the influence on the world that Jesus Christ has had. And you say, Rick, you're standing up this morning and you're calling me to become like him. That's right. If you look up the word Christian in the dictionary, it will give you an answer something like this, a definition something like this. One who believes the teachings of Jesus. It's a very limited definition. Because in our culture, we have lost the definition or the meaning of what it is to be a disciple of Christ, to be a Christian that we find in the New Testament. In the New Testament, a disciple of Christ, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, was one who not only believed the teachings of Jesus and who tried to follow the teachings of Jesus, but it was someone who tried to become like Jesus. The goal of a disciple was to become like the rabbi. So when you open the Bible and you start reading, that picture becomes very clear. Let me give you some examples of that, okay? One day Jesus is with his disciples and he does something that was shocking, surprising. He takes a towel and he puts it around his waist and he gets some water and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash the dirty feet of his disciples, and then after he has washed all their feet, he says to them, I have given you an example. Now that I have washed your feet, you should do what? Wash one another's feet. There's this another, another occasion when Jesus is with his disciples and he says, just as I have loved you, I want you to do what? Love one another. And one day when Jesus was with his disciples, he says to them, I'm going to take up a cross. And so if you want to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself and do what? Take up a cross. And so never in the heart of Jesus do we see it's just a matter of someone believing his teaching or trying to follow his teaching. In the heart of Jesus, it's always, I want you to become like me. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer 
is to reproduce the character of Christ. It is our Achilles heel. It was Gandhi who said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. How bad do you want to become like Jesus? How crucial is it that you and I become like Jesus? You realize that we moved here from Cincinnati. And there was a guy who attended our church back there. His name was Fred. He had a daughter whose name was Rachel. And so when Rachel was 13, she was diagnosed with cancer. And so Rachel had multiple surgeries, had all of the radiation that doctors would allow, and had three rounds of, three regiments of chemotherapy. And so the family is holding on, praying, hoping that we've kicked this thing. Cancer is no more part of our lives. Three years later, Rachel gets cancer again at age 16. Cancer returns. I remember going to visit her many times, and I remember saying to my wife once, I think that I'm pretty, pretty well equipped to do most of what, you know, we get to do as, as pastors. But I said, the one thing that I don't think that I'm very good at, and that is going to the seventh floor of Children's Hospital in Cincinnati. It's the oncology floor. You just walk by room after room, and they have this environment of openness. They are sliding glass doors with the windows open where everybody can feel a part of the community. And it's room after room of child after child, most with no hair on their head, fighting for their lives, trying to beat this disease of cancer. I remember coming home and sitting down at the table at dinner with my kids and talking about how important it is that we pray for kids like Rachel. When Fred learned that Rachel had cancer again, he he wrote an email just trying to express gratitude to a group of people in our church. And, And he said, over the past three and a half years, God has taught me much about life. And Fred says, I want to share a few of those life lessons with you. And so they're just one line statements, but I thought I would share a few of them with you today. Okay. He says, I've learned the following. I've learned that I've learned that life isn't fair. It's a tough lesson to learn. He said, I've learned that God often seems silent. Fred said, I've learned that too many kids in this world suffer. And some of them die. 
He said, I've learned that sick kids seem to know more about God than most adults. He said, I've learned that hospital food usually tastes really bad. And I've learned that every day spent in a hospital is a long day. I, I thought this was very insightful. He said, I've learned that in a hospital, you can tell how a kid is doing by looking into the eyes of their parents. And he said, I've learned that if you smile at people in wheelchairs, they usually smile back. I've learned that life is precious and almost everything else can be replaced. And I've learned I'll probably never be very good at golf and that's okay. There's a reason I wanted to share the story with you. It's the next few lines. He said, I've learned how much you need strong Christian friends in your life. And I've learned that God really does send emails and cards and letters. And sometimes God sends money. And through this long nightmare, you, God's people, you have been a tremendous encouragement in our lives. He said your prayers and your support have helped sustain us. Your love and your friendship has brought comfort to us. Your care and concern have demonstrated God's love. And through you, we have felt His presence and we have felt His hands on us. Your prayers and His faithfulness have enabled us to carry on. I would like for Gandhi to read that letter. Because I think what Fred was saying was, you are like Jesus to me. And you're being Jesus in my life. And you're loving us like Jesus would love us. And you're touching us like Jesus would touch us. And you're giving to us like Jesus would give to us. You are being Jesus to us. I, I get into this passage with Mark, and it's just this summary passage. I think if you read it, you'd say, really, that's your text? Because all he does is just summarizes the fact that Jesus calls 12, but he gives two distinct purposes for Jesus calling the 12. One is to be with him, because Jesus does not do life in isolation. Jesus does life in the context of relationships. And then I want to reproduce myself in you, and I want you to become like me, and I'm going to send you out. And so when I just flip through the pages of the New Testament, here's what I find in Jesus. Here it goes. You ready? Hold on. We're going to take a, a pretty quick stroll, and I'm going to just give you a lot of kind of quick passages. Here, you ready? Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus goes to the mountainside. He has a seat, and when he is set down, his disciples all gather around him. And when they get around him, what does he do? He begins to teach. And for three chapters, that, that's what you have, Jesus teaching. What does he teach about? He teaches about everything. He teaches about you being salt and light. And he teaches about prayer. And he teaches about fasting. And he teaches about loving one another. And he teaches about how you shouldn't judge each other. And on and on and on. He just teaches. I love my mama. My mama always tells me, Rick, put on your sandals and get on the dusty road and walk with Jesus and his disciples. Right, Thaddeus? And it's not until you put yourself there and you hear Jesus teaching that you're really going to get the full effect. He was a constant teacher. One day he says to his disciples, I did not come to be served. You want to know why I came? I came to serve. 
And so we're not shocked when he gets a towel and a basin and he gets on his knees and he washes dirty feet. You remember after the resurrection, the disciples are a little dazed and confused. Jesus has appeared two times, but they're not for sure what's going on. And so Simon Peter finally says, I think I'm going to go fishing. That's what he used to do before he left to follow Jesus. And so early the next morning, the disciples haven't caught anything. And there's a guy on the shore and he says, have you caught anything? No. Well, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And so they do. And there's a miraculous catch and they get to shore. And of course, it's Jesus. And you know what the Bible says he's doing? John says it this way. And there are coals and there is bread and there are fish. Jesus is cooking. Jesus is flipping fish and warming toast and poking at a fire to keep it going. It'll be ready in a little bit, guys. I don't know, for me, that's just kind of hard. I just never imagined Jesus standing over a fire like Louis McLean, you know, flipping hot dogs. I just never saw that in my life. But he serves. And then he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? I love you, Lord. I know what happened, but I'm telling you, man, I love you. You're seeing me feed you, Peter? Yeah? I want you to become like me. I want you to feed my sheep. And he's obviously talking about even more than simply feeding them food, but serving them and teaching them and loving them like I've loved you. Peter, I want you to become like me. It's hard for me to not want to dehumanize Jesus. He was a man. He had thoughts, he had feelings. He needed a friend. I have some great friends in my life. One of my closest friends is a guy whose name is Jeffrey. He's a pastor. He's now a district superintendent down in South Texas. But Jeffrey and Julie are so good of friends to Annette and I. And they're here this weekend because they have board of trustees meeting here at the university. I call Jeffrey a few times a week. We talk on the phone. We see each other anytime we can get together. They're just great friends. We get together. We play cards. I usually win, but they don't seem to mind. It's a great friendship. <laughs> Jesus needed a Jeffrey in his life. And he was okay with that. Because in the Gospel of John, you know what he says to his disciples? John 15, you're my friends. I call you friends. There was this family, a lady named Martha who opened her home to Jesus. She had a sister named Mary and a brother named Lazarus. Jesus would go there and hang out because they were friends. And the Bible says these words clearly, Jesus loved Martha and he loved Mary and he loved Lazarus. One time Jesus is with his disciples and you know what he says to those guys? I love you guys. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. He had no problem saying, I need your friendship and I love you. 
And you get to John 17 and what do you find Jesus doing on his knees? Who are you praying for, Jesus? My friends. He's praying for his disciples and his followers. I, I, I want you to understand, this is not a, a top-down relationship. I want in your life, but you're not getting in my life. I want to hear your heart, but you're never going to hear mine. No, it wasn't like that. Let me give you three examples. Jesus is in the garden on the night before he is crucified. And he takes his disciples with him. Would you pray with me? And he takes three disciples who are in this inner circle a little further along. And he looks them in the eyes and he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He's saying, I don't know if I can take this, guys. I'm hurting really bad right here. I don't know if I can do this. You remember when Jesus is led away to be tempted in the desert? How do we know this story? Who was there? Jesus and the devil. Who talked about it? You're telling me that Jesus confided in some friends one day? And said, I went through this really difficult thing in the desert. What was it like? He's tempting me. What did he tempt you with? Food. Were you hungry? I hadn't eaten in 40 days. What do you mean was I hungry? I was starving. What did you do? I quoted scripture. I told him that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in Mark eleven thirty five, you get this other picture and it's Jesus openly crying in front of people. And obviously he was okay with that. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Okay, here we go. Here's the next step. Matthew 28, Jesus is with his disciples and here's what he says to them. Okay, guys, you've been watching me, right? You've been listening to me teach and, and, and you've, you've been a part of my life and we've been friends and I've loved you and I've prayed for you and I've invested in your life and we spent time together. Now here's what I want you to do, okay? You've been my disciples. You ready? We're ready. Okay, here we go. Now I want you to go make disciples. I want you to teach and I want you to love and I want you to pray for and I want you to invest and I want you to do everything I've been doing with you. I want you to become a part of somebody else's life like this. You guys good with that? You ready to go? I got a feeling somebody said, oh, 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 hey, 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 wait. You know, things just changed. I'm, I'm not adequate. I'm not prepared. I don't think I know how to disciple anybody. I mean, I'm not. I remember sitting in a group of preachers once and this guy said, do you remember your first intimate, your first real kiss? You remember that? Did you know what you were doing? Did that stop you? What about the person who invested in your life? The person who loved you and cared for you and prayed for you and shared the Word of God with you? Did they have it all together? Are you glad they invested in your life? Here's the deal. 
We know who Jesus invested his life in. Here's the question. Who are you investing your life in? You can love and you can share and you can give and you can pray for and you can teach them everything that you know. You know what Jesus is saying? You saw all that I did. Now I want you to become like me. And if I want to be like Jesus in my relationships with others. Then I've got a disciple and I've got to love and I've got to pray for and I've got to serve. I was over at Southern Nazarene University Thursday night for a dinner. And they had some students sharing. It was really, it was really great. And there's this one kid gets up. His name was Jake. He plays football. He looks a lot like, nothing like this actually. He looks nothing like this. Just a sharp kid, this athlete. And he says, God has transformed my life at Southern Nazarene University. And he has done it through relationships with coaches and faculty and friends. I think that's the way it's supposed to happen. God has transformed my life at Southern Nazarene University. And he has done it through relationships with coaches and faculties and friends. Faculty members and friends. And, and so Jesus is looking at you today. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, Gary, I think you could become like me. Man, that does something inside of me. Danny, I think you've got what it takes to become like me. My Holy Spirit at work in you, transforming you into the character of me. Brenda Teeters, I think you got what it takes. With my spirit in you, I think you could become like me. I think you can invest in people like I've invested in people. I think you can make a difference in people's lives. How bad do you want to become like Jesus? You want to stand with me? I want us to pray together. You can pray where you're at. You can come to the altar and pray this morning if you want. We're going to sing a song that is a great prayer that we ought to be praying together. I guess I wondered this morning when I was praying about the service, if there's somebody looking at me going, Rick, I can't take anybody where I haven't been, man. And I'm not where I ought to be in my journey with God. And before that I can become like Jesus in my relationships with believers, I've got to get some things settled in my own life. And this morning, if that's where you are and you want to get right with Jesus, you can do that right here. You can come forward. You can kneel at an altar. There'll be pastors here. If you get their attention, they'll come and they'll pray with you. And you can become a follower of Christ today. Maybe you're just thinking this morning, Rick, I want to become like Jesus. I mean, right now, my deepest prayer, my highest goal, I want to be like Jesus. Maybe you're with me today and you say, I'm, I'm with you, Rick. I, 
I like what you're saying, but we're going through some stuff at our house. Oh, we got some stuff in our lives right now. And I just need God to touch me in a special way today. Come on down and pray. There are pastors here. If you want to be anointed for healing, they will anoint you and pray for you. Just get their attention as you make your way. They'll be standing here. But let's pray before we go. The work of the Spirit in the life of the believer is to reproduce the character of Christ. Make me like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, to be like you Give all I have just to know you Jesus, there's no one besides you Forever the hope in my heart what have you for me on that cross accused in absence of wrong a sin washed away in your blood too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my
worship for a while this morning. So if you need to go, leave very quietly. People will pray as long as they want to pray. If you want to come and join folks in prayer this morning, be glad to do that. And uh, if you want to be seated and just pray, you can do that. If you need to leave, just quietly leave. And we're going to worship and pray for a while. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.